up to chapter 4 in Mark, as we're looking at that together today. Uh, if you can open up your Bibles, you can follow along with me, or if you like, you can uh, watch on the screen as well. Maybe. Wait, that loves to go backwards. There you go. Uh, as we look at Mark, I reckon it's worth us just thinking about where Jesus is at this time. Remember, Peter mentioned that Jesus at this point in time in Mark has been spending most of his time around the Sea of Galilee. He's been walking around at different places. Uh, he healed the paralysed man last week, as we saw. And uh, since then, he's become even more famous. Uh, people have been flocking all over the place to come and see him and speak to him and be healed by him. And this time when he's walking along the lake, uh, it's so big and he's become so popular that he actually has to go out into a boat. Uh, they pull a boat up along the shore, he goes into the boat and then he speaks to the crowd from there. Uh, and so you can almost see the sense of the scene, couldn't you? There's people everywhere clamouring, wanting to hear this guy Jesus, maybe wanting to touch him, maybe wanting to be healed by him. Uh, and he goes out of the boat and he speaks to them. Uh, so put yourself there. Uh, sit as though you can see that happening around. You're on the sea, beside the sea. Uh, thankfully, there's no crashing waves like here. It's a bit calmer than what we have uh, because it's an inland sea. Uh, but here we are. He's out there teaching and he's speaking. And this is one of the longest sections in the whole of Mark where we get to hear Jesus teach. So listen, uh, because he asks us to listen, doesn't he? Put yourself there. And listen as we look at Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 20 together. If the boys can click it down for me so I can read at the same time. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out in the lake. While all the people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching said, Listen. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. Sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on the good soil, came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Now it's interesting at this point in time, we're going to continue on, but this wouldn't have happened at this very moment. This is like an intersperse a bit later because Jesus is still teaching when you get past this point. He's still out on the lake. This is later when the disciples are around him a little bit later on. So this is like a, Mark's just interjected this in here to help us understand what's happening. When he was alone, notice, he's not out in the lake at this point in time, but a little bit later on, he is. 
When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that they may ever be seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How can... How then will you understand any parable? A farmer sows the word. Some people like to seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like the seed sown on the rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like the seed sown among the thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. It's a well-known parable, isn't it? Lots of people have probably heard it before, and you've probably, uh, you will hear it again at different times. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting sense, isn't it? Here we are, Jesus is there, and he starts teaching. And when he starts teaching, he starts teaching in these things called parables. It actually says that that's the only way he taught for a long time. And in chapter 4, you'll see there's three of them. Uh, there's this one, and then there's another one about a seed, and then another one about a seed later on as well. They're all agricultural, aren't they? And you can almost see Jesus there... As he's looking out across the crowd, as he looks past the crowd, he sees fields or plots of land. And on those plots of land, there are crops growing up. There may even be a farmer out there sowing seed. So what Jesus does is he takes what he sees around him, he takes what his audience would see and know, and then he teaches from that the truths of the gospel. He brings to them the word of God. And in these parables that he teaches, in a sense they're a bit like similes or metaphors, or even in one sense they're almost like puzzles as well. Uh, because as you read them, you're trying to work out how it fits together, aren't you? You're trying to work out who this is, how this works, and to a degree within this puzzle, as you look at it, uh, there's going to be something that unlocks it. You think, what unlocks this parable? What unlocks this story to tell me the truth? What is it that opens it up for me? Because in one sense, there's a, both a revealing in parables, but also a concealing. In one sense, it opens up to us something about what Jesus wants to tell us, but in a sense, there's also a bit of a concealing, isn't there? There's an unsurety about this. What does this really mean? And when you get to verses 10 and 12 of the passage, you think, when you read that, you're thinking, what's that all about? 
Why does Jesus speak in parables that some people say they'll know it and some people won't? Well, in a sense, what he's saying is for those who hear and listen well, it will be revealed. For those who don't listen, it's said in parables and it be concealed. They won't know. They won't understand it. But if you have your ears to hear, if you're opening and listening, then you'll see what this is about. And so in a sense, parables are like this revealing of a truth, but yet concealing. If you have ears to hear, you'll know, but if you don't, then you might miss it. But within all of it, there's going to be a key that unlocks it, something that unlocks this parable, this puzzle. I don't know whether you watch the footy show, I try not to, too, for too long. But uh, on the footy show, they have this thing called the player probe. Have you ever seen the player probe? And uh, on the player probe, they throw things out to the players to try and get them to think about something and then answer that. Uh, and often it's a puzzle or a brain teaser or something that makes them think a little bit more about it. Well, the one on Thursday or Wednesday night was quite interesting. Let's see if you can pick up what it was. What is the one word in the English language that is spelt incorrectly? Oh, well done! Good work! You shouldn't have shouted it too loud because there's others around who didn't, wouldn't have got that, okay? Uh, it took a long time for the rugby league players to work that out. I'm not sure what that's saying about rugby league players, but uh, it's incorrectly, isn't it? Uh, incorrectly is the one. Once you see it, you understand, don't you? But when you just read it initially, you think, what's that about? But when it's revealed and opened up to you, you go, that's exactly what it is. Incorrectly is the word in English language that is spelt incorrectly. It's the only one, by the way, if you're wondering what it is. But as you open up and you see it, it unlocks it, doesn't it? You see the answer to the question. And in a sense, there is something that unlocks the parable as well. There is a key that opens up this parable that makes sense of it. Uh, and we're going to work through the parable this morning and see if we can unlock the parable and see what it is saying, not only back then, but also to you and I today. The key to unlocking the parable. So let's look for it as we go through. And it starts off, doesn't it? Jesus says to us, listen carefully. He who has ears to hear, listen. So in verse 3, he says, listen carefully. In verse 9, he says, those who have ears to hear, listen carefully. Jesus wants to bring people in and say, have a listen to this. This is important. If you get this, you're going to understand a whole lot more. Come in and listen carefully. Don't shut off your ears. Don't turn them off. Open them up now. Come and listen. Come and see what I'm about to say to you. I don't know about in your household, but in my household there is a common problem and it's called domestic deafness. Uh, it happens many times. Uh, you might say out in our family that it's time to do the washing up or clear up the table. Silence. No one moves, no one goes anywhere. But if you say there's ice cream and chocolate available on the counter, whoosh, they go there, don't they? Or if you're a bloke and your wife asks you to go and mow the lawns, complete deafness. We don't hear anything, do we? But if they offer other things, you never know. Our ears might prick up. We might be awake to it, mightn't we? 
domestic deafness, what Jesus is saying to us here in this parable and to the people that he's speaking to, don't have domestic deafness now. Don't be deaf to the kingdom of God. Open up your ears and hear, because this is important. What I'm about to say to you can be and will be life-changing. Listen now. Open up your ears. You see, they're unsure what's going on, aren't they? Even the disciples are unsure. Uh, you get to chapter 10 and uh, as I said, this is like a break in the story in one sense. Jesus is out on the boat, he's teaching and you'll get another parable later, he's still teaching on the boat. But this is, comes in a little bit later when the disciples are beside them, by themselves and they as by themselves and they ask the question, don't they? They ask, so what's this about Jesus? We don't understand what's going on. They go, dull, we're not sure what's happening here. What's going on? Well, Jesus comes in and then explains it, doesn't he? And from verse 13 onwards, he goes and restates the parable, but he states it with a little bit of explanation so that they can understand it. And the climax, the ending of it, is where Jesus wants to get to, doesn't he? Right at the bottom, verse 20. Look, see this up there? Others like seed sown on good soil hear the word, accept it and produce a crop some 30, some 60, some 100 times that was shown, the climax of this story is abundant crop, isn't it? It's to see this go wild and grow and lots and lots of happening. If you talk to our farmers, uh, they love it when our crop grows, don't they? They really enjoy the fact when uh, they get a crop and a lot comes from it. But if they get more than what they're expecting, they're overjoyed, aren't they? They're excited about it. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Be excited about this, about the crop and how good and how massive it's going to be. But how do we get to that crop? What's the key to this abundance? What's going to unlock being in verse 20? Let's see what it says then, the parable then. Let's have a think about the parable then. Remember who Jesus is speaking to? Uh, if you've been looking at Mark beforehand, you'll know a lot about what's been going on beforehand. And so Jesus tells the parable, and each bit of the parable actually hits people that he's speaking to. Always remember that. Jesus doesn't just speak to you and I now, though he does do that, but he speaks into the context there as well. He's speaking to people that are standing in front of him. So let's see if we can work out what he's saying about those people. He's looking for response, isn't he? What response is going to happen to people listening? And what response are people going to have to this word? Well, we're hot enough? I'm sure. What response are we going to have to the word? And what's the word? The word is the kingdom of God, the preaching of the good news of who? Of Jesus. So the sower that we see here is Jesus and the word that he sows is Jesus as well. It's the good news about him, about the kingdom of God, about repenting and believing and trusting in him. And so what Jesus is saying is, what is the response going to be to me? What is the response of people to me? And so we see the first one, what happens? Uh, the word is sown and people reject completely. 
just completely turned their back. The word snapped away by Satan, he says, and people reject them and turn away from them. Who in the story so far has rejected Jesus and turned away from him? Who's done that openly and deliberately? You can remember. Pushing, isn't it? Who are the ones who are out to kill him? The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the Herodians. If you look at chapter 3, verse 6, right in the middle between chapter 2 and when we are now, it says, and they plotted to kill Jesus. They've heard Jesus and they've turned their back completely and they're out to kill him. They're the first lot. They're the first one that completely rejected Jesus back then. They would have been on the outside still hearing, still listening, still there, but they're wanting to kill him. They're the first ones. What about the second lot? Others like seen sowed on rocky places, much received it with joy, but since they have no root, they don't last. Who do you think might be these people? You have to put your thinking hats on here, guys, because he's speaking to a people in front of him. Who do you think have heard him, responded with joy, but are going to reject him? crowds aren't they the crowds around Jesus they've got really excited about Jesus this is a big guy they're coming from everywhere to hear him they're wanting to listen to him they love him they think he's fantastic and when you get to when Pilate says who shall I release they call out Barabbas and what do they say when we say about Jesus they say crucify him crucify him it's the crowds isn't it the crowds in front of Jesus are going to reject him. The Pharisees, they're going to try and kill him. The crowds are going to reject him and run away from him. So who are the third lot going to be? Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, they hear the word, but the worries of life, finances, those sorts of things come in, cause them to stumble. We're not there yet. We're not up to us. Who's he speaking to there? Who's in, who's in front of him right now who's going to do that? The disciples, aren't they? If you go back just a little bit back in the story, Mark says that Judas is going to betray him. Now that comes out of the blue in the story. It's like, why on earth did he put that in there? He's giving us a bit of a hint, isn't he? Well, Judas sells out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The worries of finance get to Judas and he decides he's going to Get away from him. But all the disciples desert him as well, don't they? In the garden of Gethsemane, they all run. The worries of the world, the thoughts of the people, the people around them, they run, they take off, don't they? They leave him, they've gone, they desert him. And when you get to the end of Mark, you see in chapter 15, he gives this little thing, he says, and there was a young man there who ran away naked. And we think that's Mark. We think Mark has interspersed himself in there and he was that young man who ran away naked. See, what Jesus is saying is that everyone is going to desert him. Everyone is going to leave him. Everyone is in that one to three category. Everyone has said, we can't follow you, Jesus. 
either we hate you, we don't want to have anything to do with you, otherwise we thought you were great, but we don't really want to be there when you, we want to crucify you. Others said, well, we've followed you for three years, mate, but we're out of here now because persecution's coming. This is bad news, we're gone, we're running away. So how can we get to verse 20? How can we end up in the people in front of Jesus to be these type of people? Who's going to follow Jesus? Who's left to follow Jesus? Who's going to make it? Well, the answer is the cross, isn't it? You see, at the cross, though everyone deserts Jesus, he hangs on the cross for everyone who deserts him, for everyone who's rejected him, for everyone who even wanted to kill him. He hangs on the cross and he dies and takes the punishment for everyone deserting him, but then he rises again, doesn't he? And on the third day he comes back to life, and the Bible tells us who is the first fruits of the resurrection? It's Jesus. He says it's Jesus who actually brings about the crop. It's Jesus is the one who's the key to this parable. No one is in verse 20 until Jesus puts them there. No one can get to verse 20 of and by themselves. It's only Jesus that can bring them to verse 20 and place them in there. Because what happens after the resurrection? What happens to the disciples? Man, they're out there, aren't they? They take off. They're out telling everyone all over the place. They're excited. They think this is the greatest news. That's an amazing transformation, isn't it? They have left him and deserted him and the next minute they're telling everyone about him and they're dying for him. And what happens in Acts chapter 2? The first time that they get up and preach after the cross, after the resurrection, what happens? Thousands of people come to know Jesus. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Where does that happen? It's after Jesus has come to the cross and risen again, hasn't he? And then as they go out in that power, transformed by Jesus, then they go out and see the fruit, the crop. The crop happens... Because Jesus has put them there. You see, we can't be good soil by ourselves. We're only good soil when we turn to Jesus. And when we turn to Jesus, then we become the good soil. And he transforms us and he changes us and makes us 30-fold, 60-fold, You see... Without forgiveness, there is no fruitfulness. Without forgiveness, there is no crop. Without Jesus going to the cross, there is no good soil. You see the answer to the parable? You see the key? It's coming to Jesus, isn't it? It's only at the cross and through his resurrection and his transforming power of the Spirit that verse 20 becomes reality for the people back then, for the people now, and for you and me. That's the only place it happens. So what about the parable now? 
How does the parable fit here and now? Well, for us, doesn't it? It makes us look back, doesn't it? And we actually can see people's response to that now, can't we? Sometimes we wonder, why aren't people getting to understand this? Jesus, why aren't they responding to him? Well, what happens in those first three is happening all around us, isn't it? We can see that happening in every other way around us, different people. They might hear the word, but they just turn their back on Jesus. Their hearts are hard. They might actually respond to Jesus a little bit think it's great, but their hearts are hard. They don't turn to Jesus. They might even look like they're going to be fruitful for Jesus, but their hearts are not turned to Jesus. They haven't been placed into verse 20. They haven't been brought into that by Jesus yet because they haven't turned to Jesus yet. So what about the parable of for you and me? Now this is where it becomes real, doesn't it? Where are we in this parable? Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Have you heard about Jesus? Aside, nah. Don't want to know about him anymore. Turned your back on him. You might have done that in the past. You might have said, well, I've heard bits about him, but I really don't want to know him now. I didn't want to know him now. I've turned my back on him. I've gone there. Well, there's still hope for you, you know, isn't there? There's still hope for you. You can turn back to Jesus. You can come back to him. He says he wants you to come back to him, doesn't he? Come to him and respond to Jesus at the cross. Turn your heart to him. Or maybe you've heard of Jesus and you've responded to him really excitedly for a while, but then you're feeling like he's not doing what you want him to do. He's not actually getting to the... You know, your life hasn't changed the way you want it to change. It hasn't quite gone the way you want it to go. And so you decided, well, oh, I just don't know. Well, this parable says, turn back to Jesus. Turn your hearts to him. Come to the cross. Come to him and he will turn your life around. He will take you into eternity with him. Or maybe you've seen someone who's heard the word of Jesus and you've responded in a sense and you've lived your life that way, but then suddenly the pressures of the world have got on you, the pressures of work, the pressures of family, the pressures of finance, the pressures of your friends, stuff around you is just crowding in on you and you're feeling like you're getting choked and starved and it's all happening around you. I just can't get out of this. I just. Well, the answer is turn to Jesus, isn't it? Turn your heart to Him. Come back to Him and see Him. Because when you see Him, all those things do become dim, don't they? All those things do go into the background. They don't get dismissed, but they move to the background because there's something far greater and far more important is your relationship with God and Him and being made fruitful by Him. That becomes more important, doesn't it? God will help you and enable you and work with you and work, work through you with those stuff that's working on your heart over here, trying to drag you and pull you down. But over here, He says, I want to make you into fruitful people for me. I want to make you into good soil. He says, turn to me. Put your trust in me. Well, maybe you have done that. And that's wonderful news, isn't it? Because when you've turned your heart to Jesus, when you've come to him and repented and believed the good news, when you've sought forgiveness and received that forgiveness from him, 
then he's going to make you fruitful. The crop is going to be 30, 60, 100 fold. And ultimately in eternity it's going to blow your mind. It's going to actually take you beyond the crop that looks like, the crop that looks like what Jesus is talking about here is going to be far bigger than that when we get to eternity. It's going to be the amazing, most phenomenal place ever. Turn your heart to him and he will make you good soil. He will make you grow. He will make you grow 30, 60, 100 fold. The crop will grow because of him. As you see, the key to this parable that unlocks this parable is Jesus, isn't it? It's him. It's our response to him but it's also what he has done on the cross for us. That his resurrection has shown that he brings life, that he'll give us his spirit and he will make us into that good soil to be fruitful 30, 60, 100 times. Because you see, without forgiveness, there is no fruitfulness, is there? Now, I don't know where you're at. I don't know whether you see yourself on those soils. I'm not sure what you're thinking about, where you're at. You might have given your life to Jesus at one point in time, but you feel you're back in number three. You may have thought that you've given your life to Jesus and you, know, you, you wanted to, to give it up. You may not even have thought of giving your life to Jesus. But Jesus' parable to you this morning, as he speaks to you this morning, he says, listen, give me your ears. And give me your life. Turn your heart to me and I'll make you good soil. Can I encourage you to take a moment to have a conversation with Jesus. To speak to him from your heart. Don't cover up. Don't try and make yourself sound better than what you are. Come to him honestly. Come before him. Because at the cross there is forgiveness. And in the resurrection there is life. And in living for him there is fruitfulness. And there is eternity waiting for you. All we need to do is turn to Jesus. Let's take a moment to have that conversation with him now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We're all in different places. We all may be experiencing different aspects in our life. And we all may be standing before you with different responses to Jesus. But your desire, Lord, for all of us is to turn our hearts to him. Is to come to the cross and ask for forgiveness and ask for life. And in the resurrection, Lord, we're guaranteed that. And through your spirit, Lord, we are transformed. In your Son, Jesus, Lord, we have life now and life eternally. 
we become good soil only because of him. Lord, we thank you that you have done that for us in Jesus. Lord, we lay our lives before you. We turn our hearts to you, Lord. And we look to you, Lord, to become the abundant crop that you desire to grow from us. Pray this in Jesus' name.